I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. But when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 70. Take two! Yeah, because uh, <laughs> Tom doesn't know how to do his inputs correctly. It's been like three weeks! Oh. We recorded last That's week. That's true, we recorded last week. our special episode, no and you... It's, it's your age, man. Damn it, it is my... Yeah, now you, I'm, you I'm jumped old and delusional now. ship to 37. Um, excitingly, during the break, we were bought out and partnered up with Disney... Yeah. Uh, for 12 cents. It's pretty good. Yeah, but, uh, we're yeah we did it. We're, we're partners. But really quick, though, you have to Venmo me six cents on that. Yeah, I, don't, I, I have to download that app. I don't, I don't download it. I'll just get you six cents. Uh, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. I don't know if I'm going to do a, a physical six cents. <laughs> what if I just gave hey, you six cents? quick riddle. Do? How do you make 30 cents with only two coins, and one of those coins is not a quarter? Hmm. I don't know. US, do- US dollars, by the way. Can you actually do that? You can. With a nickel and a quarter, because only one of them is in a quarter. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's no it's not nice. That's pretty good. Let's let's just jump from that. Um That was a good riddle. Why are you being I, so sad? I about don't it? like because I got that riddle this last weekend. I was like, I hate that riddle. That riddle's stupid. It's, it's one of those like trick riddles. It's not even like actually a clever riddle where you have to like kind of think it through. It's just like, no, we tricked I you. Get, I didn't get it. I didn't get it either initially, <laughs> but I'm not gonna not All right, take credit for that. What is this? Moving on. <laughs> it's a can. Uh, it is a can from Omnipolo. Uh, our brewers from overseas. I, I believe they're overseas. I think we looked this up last time, and they, I believe they are not of this. Earth. I thought it was like the Netherlands or something, wasn't it? Um, they are from Sweden. Yeah, they're the same thing, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> All those the Nordics. They drank. From they're up the, there. They drank from the skulls of their fallen victims. I would hope so. That's how they got on the Valhalla. But this particular beer, Plorama, was brewed by the Dorster Brewing Company out of Boston, Massachusetts. So it obeys our rules of yeah, it's, farm the table beer. It was created somewhere in the in you know in the within dry, within day driving distance. Well, then I, we can have Nebraska our, beers if that's the case. It's a long day. It's twenty four hours. It's a day trip. No, I a day. In other words, like a day. Next week we're drinking something from Nebraska. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. But this is a raspberry creme brulee sour. Oh, ale brewed with lactose sugar with raspberries and vanilla added. 6%, a little lighter than what we usually do because, you know. Because of the now that you're eight, Now that you're 37, yeah. you need to uh, watch your figure. You need to, to worry about your heart health and your, is your this liver doing, health. Is this doing that? Well, I mean, it's only 6%. I'm I've sure taken, like, it's been made up with by sugar. I've taken more than half a dozen Advil today, so my liver and me are not, like, <laughs> super, good, super good friends. This baby will settle it out, right? Oh, yeah. That's exactly how this works. Wait, Probably. dink it. <laughs> All that. You know what? Um, it's, it's fine. It's rough. It tastes like soda. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't taste bad. It tastes like... This does not taste like a beer. And it tastes that, like sparkling cranberry juice. Or grapefruit no, juice. Yeah, exactly. It tastes... It does. It tastes like... Um, tastes like a cocktail. It's not, it doesn't taste like a beer. Sure as shit doesn't taste like a beer. It tastes good. Yeah, it tastes good, but it's not a... It, it, I it's would surprising. Not, I would not consider this a beer, and I would not enjoy this. It's got a weird aftertaste. Not really. The aftertaste is like that raspberry vanilla. No, but it's it's. I think that first initial. As somebody who's never had a creme brulee though, is this is this creme brulee-ish? Have I had creme brulee? Maybe I have. Not with me. I don't think it tastes like creme brulee. I don't think we've ever had a creme brulee together. I don't think we've ever had desserts together. Maybe a couple Oreos. Yeah. Can an Oreo be a dessert? It's vegan. We've had like chips and salsa. That's not. A, I just said dessert. It's Are you a having snack? chips? And, you could make like a whipped cream. Salsa with cinnamon sugar oh, yeah. tortilla chips. With one of those things, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're just a weirdo. No, you want to do a whipped cream. You'd want to do like a raspberry puree, so mm-hmm. it still looks like that. Put some lime in there, some apples. Yeah, so work. next it week, works. Nebraska beer, creme brulee. And Pivotal chips show. and salsa dessert style. Yep. If and there next, is a next week. If, Tom, if, if, because for all we know, our, people can rise... From the sewers. Our doppelgangers could be standing behind us right now, ready to stab us in the necks. Just, yeah. Either they'll, they'll take a t- their time with it, or they'll just do it really quickly, and who knows? Because we're, we're probably not going to be the leads, so it would be quickly. <laughs> Maybe uh, the Elizabeth Mosses in this, and the Tim Heideggers in this scenario. Exactly. So if you're wondering, we did see Wonder Park this week, and that's the movie we're going to be talking about. I did see Wonder Park this week. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was a really bizarre twist. The fact that Us <laughs> takes us on a whimsical journey through a child's imagination as she deals with her mother's sickness. I wasn't expecting that. Right. And Wonder Park is similar. And then suddenly Jennifer Garner just gets stabbed in the throat. And I'm like, whoa. It's not, it's not cancer. This is stabbed in the throat. Yeah. So Matthew Broderick is sitting in the corner <laughs> not doing anything. He isn't doing anything. <laughs> you can tell they had to wake him up between every line. I didn't see this movie, reading. by the way. I just... For some reason, I read took, the synopsis of it. I took a bunch of kids to see it, and I'm going to be honest with you: it is not the worst animated movie I've ever seen. Is it fully animated? No. Yeah. No, is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I was looking at the Wikipedia description. Because some movies I never want to see, I'll sometimes just read the synopsis of it. Yeah. And it lists like voices of blah blah blah, but like Matthew Broderick and Jennifer Garner are just listed as like mother and father, and so I was like, oh, is that like a live action mixed with animation? No, but they just don't have names, and apparently there was no director either. Not that it matters. But There's it, no director of the film? No, because it was... What? Uh, oh, Brian Singer. Brian Singer started <laughs> yeah, it? exactly. Um, I don't know the whole story. It's not terrible. It's not a terrible movie. I mean, it's not great. It, it's like heavily metaphored, but it's fine. Nice. Yeah, it's... So we'll be right back with our number 70s. Um, <laughs> but no, this week uh, the topic of conversation is Us from Jordan Peele, his second solo project. That's a classic right there. What does I got five on it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs, it's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. Creep on in, on in, on can't believe how big Dave got. You hear Gabe got a boat? Oh, daddy. Ha, ha. 
He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh yeah. Um, I believe he co-directed uh, Keanu. No, no, he did not direct Keanu at all. It's just his second directorial film. Who directed Keanu? Peter Antoncino. Okay. Whoever that guy is. Good job, Peter <laughs> Antoncino. Uh, his third written film. I don't think it's second super directed. important that we... I just... I, you just really want like Keanu. Him, yeah. I I'm really gonna, want Keanu to be like... I'm going to be honest with picture. you. Every time I see anything that Jordan Peele does, I feel so bad for Keegan-Michael Key. I just feel terrible for him. Man, like, this we've talked about this before. He has... The Predator, which Jordan Peele was not invited to be. Shane Black, Shane Black, like Jordan Peele was like, I can be in this movie too. And Shane Black was like, I'm good. I got Thomas Jane. This movie's going to make more today, in the screenings today, fr- Friday and Saturday, than Predator made worldwide. It's probably going to make more off of repeat visits from Shane Black yeah. than <laughs> The Predator made. Did we say what we're talking about yet? We did. We, we talked about it. It's us? us? Okay. Or Keanu. We're not sure. Or The Predator. It could be one <laughs> of those things. Hard to tell them. Um, The Us is a film starring Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o. Winston Duke uh, has a young child, Lupita, uh, sees her doppelganger in a run-down, weird sort of like carnival funhouse. Fun yeah. um, 32 years later, because it starts in 1986 and starts in present day, and ah, I was born in it's 1986. Yeah. Well, no, was, I didn't even use math. I just used my age. Here's a question, though. Actually, it's 33. Was the drought it? over in California by then? Because that last in shot... No, in, 19, in 2018. 2018? Because that, that last shot looked a little lush. If we're trying to be real here. No, it's present day. If we're the, trying to be real. It's present day, though. All right. So, so you're saying it's post-drought California. Yeah. It was, it's the, it, the movie's talking about the drought, by the way. It's just all about droughts. <laughs> it just occurred to me. I don't think that matters. No, it just says present day. Okay, fine. Go ahead. Like, 20 years from now, it could still be then. She's just, Lupita DeYoungo, like, just aged really well. All right, go. Um, she runs away. Is, is terrified by it. And then in present day... Uh, while on a summer vacation with her family, um, her doppelganger returns with her doppelganger family, and multiple other doppelgangers come together to form some sort of wild terrorist attack, personal statement, blah, 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 killing random people in a horror film. It's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It is. sure is. It is. I will say this, and I'll be controversial. Hot take. What's our hot take sound? Do we have a hot take sound effect? Slide whistle. No, we're not going to slide. The slide whistle, by the way, last week with the Save Better Bell thing, I was like, ah, it's kind of out of place. Don't do the slide whistle. Not a hot. That's not the hot take thing. The only reason I did the slide whistle. No, I want to. No, keep this recording. <laughs> the only reason I did the slide whistle is because we did we did two intros because we did an intro to the 2017 one, which was the Save by the Bell. Stuff. Oh, you need. And then to, we, need we, to, we did a whole another intro so you needed, for a climax. You a nice little edit. So I needed to break it up and edit that's it last a, week's that's episode. That's why I expected. Was a freaking nightmare. That's why I expected. I was like, oh, this is an edit. This I is an edit. And part. I couldn't make it match. So I was just like, boop. Yep. I was like, that's slide whistles. Slide awful. whistle. But hot take. Hot take. This movie, unlike Get Out really doesn't have any social commentary. Or social commentary that is so overarching and so bearing down on the film. Not yeah, bearing down on the film. I don't want to say bearing down. But so 
present in the film's themes and in the film's yeah. execution that it doesn't matter. I think we me. can talk about this while still talking about like the, the movie specifically. Hopefully. Uh, we, we are reviewing films. No, no, no. But I don't want to just say – I don't want to not talk about like aspects of the film and then just oh, no. kind of dig into like what it's about. I agree with you 100%. Um, I think Jordan Peele is really good at his job. Oh, no. Yeah. And he's a super jerk. I mean, and I'm, so I'm going to say, I will say this really quickly before we jump into this. I really like this movie. I liked yeah. it a lot, too. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think he's kind of pitched it for you to think that he's just kind of redoing, like, a get out theme. But I don't think it's that. No, me neither. I think it's dealing more, if it's dealing with any, if it's dealing with anything from, like, a social commentary perspective, it's really just dealing with, like, a person, like, a... um a personal thing. It's not dealing with how you are treating, I don't think anyway, how you are treating the rest of America, even though how Americans are treating other Americans or forgetting about other Americans. I think it's really just, he's really saying, um, just look in, you just have to look inside yourself. Like, there's aspects of ourselves that we're not addressing. It's not that we're not addressing the person, like, across the aisle or in the different part, in like, you know, a different state or, you know, a red state versus a blue state Well, there's thing. a very kind of quick, not to say parallel, but there's a very quick kind of, like, theme about homelessness and, like, the abandonment of, of the pushing away of people. And I don't right. think that's being, I think that's being done on purpose, but I don't think that's like, hey, this is what the point I'm trying to make. Well, I think it's, I think what he's saying is he's acknowledging that we're doing this. But I think what he's saying is we're doing it for these specific reasons, not culturally, but personally. Personally. Well, no, I'd agree. Because, you know, that Tim Heidecker character is is so caught up in his toys, just like Winston Duke, Gabe is. Um, they're, they're so caught up in, in that chasing that of kind the of one up. Yeah. Elizabeth Moss's kitties just I think I could be a movie alcoholic. star. Yeah. Um, the, the daughters is caught up in her phone. So, so it is all these, these characters. And the, I think the only two present characters are, are Lupita and her son. Um, her son kind of has that mask and is kind of like hiding within himself, but he's at least of the presence of mind sort of thing. But it's interesting. So like I, I made some notes on my phone as I'm wanting to do. I'll text myself some things. And one of the things I texted myself is, so after, um, Jason, um, he doesn't run away. He goes to the bathroom. They go to the beach. So they go to the family goes to the beach where, um, Adelaide you know, Lupita Nyong'o's character has her incident, <clears throat> you know, and they're sitting right in front of, like, the funhouse mirror, and, and Jason's a little, you know, everyone's like, oh, your brother's so weird, Jason's supposed to be a weird guy, he wears, like, a Chewbacca, like, a, f- a poorly detailed Chewbacca mask um, on top of his head and a Jaws t-shirt, like, through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanders off, and uh, Adelaide freaks out, and, you know... You know, she's just kind of like shaking him. She's like, don't, you know, ever leave me. Don't ever leave me. And he's just kind of like, okay. You know, like he doesn't, he doesn't like speak up for himself. But then like the doppelganger Jason comes in, who apparently, everyone has um, names is named Pluto, which yes. is cool. Well, I think it's cool that they all have names. Um, Except for the homeless man just gets Jeremiah, which is like the most yeah, yeah, yeah. obvious name. Um, he's making like those animal sounds. You know what I mean? It's making like dog sounds. Well, and she's all, petting all him them, like a dog. All of them are making animal sounds except for Red. But I think that's what which it is kind shown of, in the really dumb twist. That's what it kind of clicked into my head. So even he is 
Like, he's just his mother's pet. You know what I mean? He, like, does whatever, like, everybody else says, and they kind of, you know, he kind of tries to break out of it a little bit, like, by swearing, and he gets yelled at. Um, or he breaks out of it a little bit by wearing his, you know, trying to wear his shoes. He's just trying to be different, and no one's acknowledging. He's just considered weird and not, like, his own person. Mm. And he just kind of keeps going along with it. And there's all of these there's all of these ways that everyone kind of tries to break out of their um, their things in the family, and they just kind of they just kind of don't. You know what I mean? Like they're they're offered opportunities to take like an aspect of themselves like really seriously, or like an important part of themselves really seriously, and just, they just say like, "No, all right, I'll just keep I'll just keep going along with the thing." Um, and that's what it jumped into my head. I was like, "It's his, he's like his mother's pet." And she treats him like a pet, and he doesn't mind being treated so much like a pet. Um, and I think everything's I think everything's like that um, in this movie. Everyone's just kind of everyone's too busy being caught up in what they're supposed, what they think they want, or they think who they think they're supposed to be, and they're not acknowledging like the the many tunnels like underneath themselves that like have Whoa. no purpose. Oh, that's a reach. Of a comet, the tunnels. Nice little tie in there. Well, that's, I mean, but at the end of the movie, when, like, the, when Lupita Nyong'o's chasing herself down, like, and she's just going down and down and down and down, I was like, how is this not, like, exempt, like, um, you know, symbolic of her burrowing into her subconscious a little bit? Yeah, I guess that's fair. You know what I mean? I, I, I think so. What do you, I mean, what do you think? Man. Not about that I think, specifically, but like about anything. I think it's just a really good horror movie. I watch this as a horror movie. Um, there is there. It's it's a horror movie done by an extremely talented writer director who knows how to cast his movies. Oh with yeah, extremely talented. Oh people. yeah, Lupita Nyong'o like Lupita Nyong'o is fucking great. She should like early to say this, but I could see her like in the. She won't be because this movie's getting seriously kind of like subpar to get out, unfortunately. But she could definitely be in the running. She Looking sh- back at last year's performances, the top five performances of the year, she definitely toppled several of them. Oh, yeah. Glenn Close. <laughs> Lady but, Gaga. But that's yeah, Lady Gaga. Sorry. I actually forgot Lady Gaga had already got nominated. That's how much I've forgotten about. I just listened to the Brady Snell's podcast about the Oscars, so he was talking about her a lot. Um, um, she's fantastic in it. Uh, but her, the daughter, um, uh, Shady... Uh, sh- Shadidi jo- Joseph is excellent too. I thought Shahadi Wright Joseph. Yeah. yeah, she's she does an excellent job. The, everyone does an extremely excellent job of playing these two different. Maybe not Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss, but every like the main four family members do a really good job of portraying two vastly different characters. Mm-hmm. But Lupita Nyong'o is just fucking amazing. In well, this. and it's so it's interesting because she's so good, but Winston Duke keeps trying to steal the movie from her. But it, I mean, I think um, that's. A but he cre- knows his place, right? And that's a credit to Jordan Peele that he's really established who this character. Because this is. movie is would be a hard watch without Winston, without the humor. I think it's a really tense movie. Like it carries that tension throughout, and it's yeah, it's really kind of depressing in in some ways. Like like how remorseless it is, and it's not not necessarily it's violence, but it's just so. There's like no escaping it. It's 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 that kind of overwhelming dread that that kind of carries throughout it. Like there's that it would 
lose some sense if or lose some of that's like humanity or some of that touch of like these people being real people if we didn't have Winston Duke's like humor or we didn't have some of those moments of levity throughout the film. Like when they when they talk about their kill counts. Yeah. That's determine who's driving by who has the most kills. <laughs> the thing I love too is that there's ties and then Lupita's driving after um after, but after, that wouldn't well, be her that kill. That'd be the daughter's. Thing, Unless yeah. she lied about it. Well, she might have. So the rest I of the movie did. is just well, I mean, a she, lie. She did turn out to be the doppelganger. So, you know. I don't think she did turn out to be the doppelganger. I think she just thought about. I think it, it might have been a false memory too. Yeah. Yeah. Like she just kind of considered maybe this is what it is. But I also think. But I think it, it's more what I got from. Spo- that. Oh, spoiler alert! Spoiler post, alert! Spo- post spoiler alert! Yeah, we don't care about spoilers. Uh, but there is um. Later on, we're going to talk about the impressibility, the impressibility of memory uh-huh. quite heavily in uh, one mm, of our films. Oh, yeah. And I agree with you um, in the fact that, like, I don't, I, I see when she kills Red, um, she takes on the character, the animalistic characteristics. Yep. And it's kind of like that's that awesome. untethered, that it's untethered. And so, like, Red becomes her again. Yep. Like, because they have such that direct connection. I actually agree with you in the, I, that I don't miss because the twist doesn't work. Right. The twist is stupid if, like, Jordan Peele's like, oh, no, it was just her all along. Because, for one thing, one of those two women, would, two girls, would know, like, would, no matter what their post-traumatic stress is, they would remember that. And it also doesn't work in the sense that, like, it's this grand government experiment to control. The, the, the entire idea in the end is that the government has created copies of people who didn't end up having souls, hoping that they could control their actions to control people above. Um, a really fun sort of Twilight Zone style. And this is like a really but which is fun not, Twilight Zone. Which is not really necessary. It's not, but it's I, it's... I feel like this is a really big homage to Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. I hope it's way. not, because Jordan Peele is directly involved with this new Twilight Zone, <laughs> and that would be... That would bum me out if he was just doing well, kind no, of like this, thematic you, product you, placement. Have you never... You haven't seen a... It really reminds me of an old episode of Mirror Images of Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. theme of it kind of is... So I could see definitely inspiration. Sure. And, you know, even if he's not trying to do that, he's obviously drawn to the Twilight Zone, so it's gonna... There's going to be, uh, you know, something there. There's something there. Um, I just don't think it needed but it. But it just, it does, the twist is silly if, like, she suddenly, when, you know, after the government's done this and then they switch places, if suddenly the new, the, the, the original Lupita is now having to do the copy and, and having to, Yeah, you know. I guess the only reason the twist wouldn't be silly is if, um... I guess the only reason the twist wouldn't be silly is if I guess the only reason the twist wouldn't be silly is if it she looked at her son and then it was kind of like a it doesn't matter thing. You know what I mean? Like we're all like they're people too. Like we're all people. Like I you know, I've been I've lived this life. Obviously, he's her kid. Yeah. Um there's she no, there's not a lot of difference everything. between like the animalistic like, side of you know, them and, and the human, the necessarily human soul exactly. side. Exactly, like of them. oh, we're all the same. So there's there's where like your cultural political commentary could be is like suggested, but it's definitely nowhere near as in the forefront or heavy or specific um, as as it, as it, it was get out. Yeah. Um, visually, this is a fun movie too. It's I don't this is. 
it's hard to say a lot of things I really didn't like about this. Um, I'll take some time, I think. I, th- I, I think the explaining of where they came from. The two, the two exposition scenes kind were, of bummed me out. We're yeah. like, yeah, I understand. Because I think a lot of people would have been upset if they didn't explain it. Why? It's just they look exactly like the other ones. Well, I know. I think that would have been fine just leave that in the shadows sort of thing. And I think explaining it was a bit like, okay. You could, we could have made that assumption based off of um, what Zora said earlier with like the fluoride in the water comment. Um, I, th- I think that's still Jordan Peele finding his feet. I think he's still somewhat unsure of himself. There's a lot of exposition that happens in mm. Get Out that is just done better because, you know, it's... Well, Get Steve, Out's kind of... Get Out's cl- a little cleaner because yeah. it's, so, it's so much shorter. And it's tight. It's a really tight film. This is a much bigger, ambitious sort of film. It's... I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, though. I think this one's horror trappings um, are way more honest and better done than, like, Get Out's. We're like... All of a sudden, Daniel Kaluuya's just a killing machine. Yeah. Like, you know, there's no, like, build-up to it or anything like that. It's like, all of a sudden, he's dropped into this weird science experiment thing, and then he's fully prepared to kill anything. Um, whereas this one has kind of like a... Like, it ramps up. You know what I mean? It's, it's what are you capable... It, there's tests for what everyone is capable of before, like, the final showdown between you know, Lupita Nyong'o and her doppelganger. And which is still, like, a messy, really well-choreographed fight. That is really but good. But it's mess, extremely messy still. So, like, she's still not of that level. And, you know, the, the original Lupita, you know, the, the the protagonist Lupita gets her ass kicked throughout most of it. So it's still, she isn't at that level. Right. Um, this is a really... I, I find it funny that a lot of the reviews... Um, and I guess Jordan Peele kind of commented on this himself, were saying that's a thriller. You know, like really digging into it being a thriller and not a horror. I'm like, this is 100% a pure horror. This is a horror movie. It is a horror movie. It's not like as gruesome, I think, as I expected it to be. It was a little more violent than I expected, to be honest. But it's, it's, it's way more violent than Get Out. Oh, extremely, yeah. But no, there's like, no, I expect this, the level of violence of Get Out in this. But there's no, like, um, antlers through someone's face. I yeah. guess you know what I mean, and th- I think that's like a, st- but there a, like a, a, a stereotypical a horror slow thing. Crawling Elizabeth Moss and a nice crunchy, you know, bashing into the skull with a with a putter. Yeah, and there's um, you know, and I think Elizabeth Moss was good. The face cutting scene I thought was really not sure she why was she was doing my, it. But... I guess that my big criticism, or as much as I found the Heidecker you know, the Josh character funny, that doppelganger was basically the exact same and that was kind of annoying like there was like the the actions douchebag doppelganger yeah and he was just like every other person wasn't there was sort of like a drive like the the winston duke um doppelganger like has a lot of the same mannerisms but there's like this real intensity and also frustration and anger Mm -hmm. and everyone else like like you know zora doppelganger kind of kind of plays into that really specific role whereas the josh doppelganger was just just the Josh again, just just kind of a douchey dick, yeah, and like had too much personality compared to everyone else. Just had kind of their one channel, their one that they had their place, and he kind of had liveliness to him. And I was like, oh, that's just Tim Heidecker doing Tim Heidecker stuff. And Elizabeth Moss also, I'm just not a big Elizabeth Moss person. I well, think see, I like Elizabeth Moss a lot. Um, not so much in Handmaiden's Tale, but in other things. Um, and I, I just, I think, I just, I'm unclear. I wish 
I liked her as Kitty, but when, like the doppelganger, I thought once again had too much personality. I liked it when the doppelgangers were still kind of stuck in their lane. Well, I thought that helped establish a little bit her anyway, not not the um, not the Josh character, but her um, helped kind of establish that this is like a, another side of their personality. This is like a more raw side or or an un you know an unrealized side. Um, but is that like an unrealized famous person? Do they is, is that where they go? They cut their faces. I'm not sure. Nobody else was doing self harm. Like, I don't know why she would have why she would go to the lengths that she went. Um, but again, that doesn't really matter. I think it was a good looking scene. Elizabeth Moss made um, a pretty good face when she was doing it, um, so it was cool. Um, but I mean, overall, I think Jordan Peele is. Um, I don't know. His third movie, when people stop being super interested that Jordan Peele is making movies, um, and we're just like, oh, look, another Jordan Peele movie. That's good. Will probably be really excellent. Yeah, and it's it's nice that there's there is so many um, good references to horror. Like he knows this. what he's doing, and he's like, seen a lot of stuff. Like early on, it, we have a very similar close uh, sister, I guess start to this film in the sense that both this film and climax begin with a shot of a television while we have pop culture films that kind of inspire the events to come Mm -hmm. in in certain ways uh, well did you know that the the right stuff was a two vhs no i didn't i didn't think the right stuff was that long i didn't either but uh one of the great things was chud was one of the films i talked about this right after the film chud being um a horror movie of the 80s uh, about um, subterranean monsters, mm-hmm. basically coming out of the wor- coming out of the sewers and uh, attacking people, and you know, like the, the film The Fall would basically be yeah doppelgangers coming out of the Masters. sewers. Which I, my big question though, where'd they get the uh, the sheer budget? Where the doppelgangers get the sheer budget? Or the, why, or the why leather some, gloves? Why didn't somebody go? Man, there's been a big uptake in sheer sales. Or the jumpsuits that didn't fit. Yeah. Because everyone's jump- questions. Jordan Peele and rewind answers. Well, and that's I mean, in, so if I have a credit, it's the two exposition scenes, but then included in that last in the second exposition scene is a kind of like suit up montage from like the doppelgangers underneath. Yeah, you, like, she just needs, She just like, needs to tell us. She just needs okay. to tell us we, we plotted this. And it's like, yeah, okay, you got a bunch of jumpsuits and shears somewhere. But I would I had just assumed that like that was just what they wore. So like they built like a bunch of hands across America jumpsuits, like to make an impression, like that's not necessary. Nobody cares. Like, and it's not even making a point. I don't know if you noticed this, Jordan Peele, but like your doppelgangers just stabbed a whole bunch of people. The they thing- would, they would be get. Also, I love the part where <laughs> if it's they just, it's just showing the helicopters flying. It's like these people, these doppelgangers, are just being mowed down. <laughs> yeah, and if they, they would were- just be, there would be police just executing. <laughs> right, and if they weren't wearing jumpsuits. A bunch of people, dead-eyed people that just killed a bunch of people wearing scissors now linking hands, like, into the ocean, would be a statement. No, Without the jumps. Actually, you know, you know what's happening? They're not making a statement. They're linking hands because on one end is Jack with his sniper. 
gun. His, oh. And he just wants to see how many, how many bodies he can get through. That's awesome. Big twist. This is actually a House That Jack built sequel. <laughs> they came from underground. Yeah. Oh. Or Verge. Oh, yep. Led Jack. So they came from the underground. Sure. Where rabbits were. I'm sure there's rabbits in hell. Because all rabbits go to hell. I'm going to have to watch House of Jack built again and look for a rabbit reference. And then, uh, so I can tie this you know, Went up. They, they were like regaling cans. And Jack's up there. Matt Dillon. Getting, a, getting his second movie. He's got, got the gun lined and up. He, he got rem- better ammo. And he, he remembered got, the bullet. This, yeah. Jeremy Davies didn't screw him on the ammo this time. Yeah. Jeremy Davies, by the way, check out Wallets, man. That, that was pretty obvious. That wallet was <laughs> fucked up. Uh, but overall, no. A really excellent horror movie. I, it's fun. It's, it's a lot fun. of fun. It's a lot it's of fun. Lot of fun. Um, yeah. I, I don't like, I like Get Out still more because I think Get Out just is tight. It's just tighter. This is more ambitious, so you do get a little bit of the um, there's a lot of the good, looseness around this around but there's a the lot edges. Of good, there's a lot of good images in this. Oh thing. no! Like I said, it's a this is a better kind of horror film. Like overall, this is a better horror movie, and in such, it has a lot of the trappings and the followings of a horror movie. There's some. I actually don't. I think the, it's paced well throughout, but there is kind of like it shows its budget at times. Um, for one thing, you kind of like just oh, we need a couple bodies here. Just, just like just a six couple bodies. bodies. Every time we've seen this boardwalk, you know, in this movie, it's teeming with people. But now there's just like seven, six people, and one guy, one guy just leaned over on on <laughs> my my favorite dead body guy was the one on the um on the bench. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just kind of like really lean. I thought I actually don't think he's dead. I think he's just drunk. He's gonna wake up and be like, "This is weird." Last time I drank vodka. And he just ransacks the boardwalk and takes. No, it no. Out. Then he just gets a bottle of tequila. No. Just keeps drinking. Vodka led that to that. There you go. Tequila will lead to something. Probably to a fun night. Because everyone's got to go to Mexico now. There's no Americans left. That's true. We're Americans. That's why I think it's not about um, politics too. Because it's so on the nose. Well, then she just established like, oh, we're all this. We're just yeah, we're all the same. Let's yeah. not worry about it. It's not a black or white thing. It's just. We're Americans. Done. Moved aside. Now it's about yourself. You. It's just about whatever's going on in your brain. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, it's a personal. It's about a movie about, about the self, man, and about the, the fact that the right stuff had two discs. Why did the right stuff had two VHS? This is the, before we jump. How long? This would like, have to have been like long, hundred over hundred eighty minutes, right? Well, yeah. How long is how long is the right stuff? Philip Kaufman. What have you done lately? Look it up. Tom Wolf book, huh? Yeah. You didn't know that? Philip Kaufman's still alive. Actually, I would have assumed he would have been dead. The Right Stuff was 192 minutes. Two, two tapes. Jesus two tapes. Christ. All right, we'll be right back with uh, our number 70s. Not on two tapes. Continuing on the topic of horror... My number 70 is a film that doesn't have a lot of backstory to it. I saw it later in life, but it captures a theme that has always terrified me. The idea of assimilation or the attack of the self. So you did not like the Borg? No. The Borg scared me, and I don't want to fly around in a giant cube. I wouldn't either. Or be stuck in the cube, the great Canadian horror film. <laughs> not, not that good. But, you know, films like that, The mm-hmm. Matrix was kind of creepy to me. Invasion of the Body Snatchers in the Mouth of Madness, which is not the same at all, but 
that has that kind of like presence of theme and like the loss of identity, the loss of self and the loss of like your reality being changed uh-huh. and or even like in the mouth of madness, which was directed by John Carpenter, just like this film, 1982's the thing. 12 men have just discovered something for 100,000 years. It was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live inside where no one can see it or hear it or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. It was directed masterfully, in my opinion. Oh, no, no, no. Directed well by John Carpenter. I think it's... I don't think it's masterful. I think it's really well directed. Masterfully compared to what? Because I think you could argue it's semi-masterfully. I mean, for what it's supposed to be doing, I guess right? I'm not comparing it to anything. I'm just saying it's, it's really well done. But I, I want to reserve masterful for, like, okay. the tent pole. Films. But if you're making a, a movie like The Thing... Anyways, this movie stars... <laughs> I just want to defend you. Kurt Russell, Keith David, Richard Bowser, and the... Diabetes champion, Wilford Brimley, who's still alive, right? Wilford Brimley's still kicking. Good job, Wilford Brimley. It is the story, is a story of an alien who kind of crash lands, who kind of, who crash lands into Antarctica, and it simulates every biological material around it, taking on their personality, taking on their identity. And ripping their clothes. Yeah. Being real dick to clothes. <laughs> And eventually it becomes a horror film of who do you trust because who could be the thing? Who is a human? It's based upon the 1938 novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. Something I haven't read, actually, ever. Uh, Who Goes There actually ends, I do know, a lot more happily in the fact that the thing's just completely killed Uh at the end. Um, But I did read, after seeing this film uh, in 2010... Uh, Canadian science fiction writer Peter Watts wrote The Things, which is told from the perspective of the alien, The Thing. And it is actually a well-meaning ambassador that doesn't understand why we're, like, really creeped out by, like, why we're running away and attacking it. And it finds out that we're actually, like, individuals and have individual thought. And then it gets really repulsed by us. Oh, and that's why it starts to eat people? No, it's been eating people because it thinks like that's what people that thinks that's what all things want. They just want to be assimilated into this kind of like master race, huh. not realizing that there's like an indiv- a personality, right? Um, and that's always that's that's got to me. And watching the thing is scary as hell to me because of that. I remember when I was young, I read about Sarlacc pits, the canon of the Sarlacc pit. There's a canon for the Sarlacc pits? Yeah, I think in the Legends now. It's now in the Legends canon. All right. But it says that when you fall into a Sarlacc pit, uh-huh. the needles on the side of the Sarlacc pit embed into your body, and it gives you nutrients. Which doesn't make sense if it's eating you. But over a thousand years, you are slowly dissolved. And as it's dissolving you, it like tortures you mentally because it, it, it simulates you into the Sarlacc. Huh. And that always scared me. Yeah, that'd be no good. Yeah. And it's the same way here. The entire idea of this film just burrowed into me when I saw it. 
And it's done so extremely well. The fact that this film, for all of its just gorgeously disgusting creature effects, um, which which it's known for, you know, the creature effects are the biggest thing. For all of its 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 great cinematography, it's it's really gruff bravado performances. The fact that. Overall, this movie burrows so heavily into paranoia, mm-hmm. into the fear of the self, into the fear that what makes an individual, when an alien can so perfectly replicate the ideas, and like obviously science fiction, blah, 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 nobody knows what makes a personality, uh-huh. we have theories, but nobody knows the source of consciousness yet, come at me, bro. Um, but the fact that it could so utterly perfect and mimic that frightened me because it, it, it raises a good question of what makes a person and I think this is a good sign of a really solid horror film and why horror in a lot of ways is often to me one of the best um, examples of, of making you burrow into yourself a bit and making you like think about things mm-hmm. I mean, we just talked about us and like the ideas of burrowing into the self and the and the needing to fulfill the self that being a possible theme uh-huh. and this is definitely a film that says what is it to be a person like when you can't trust what you see outside because you see a person perfectly created perfectly created in the sense of of perfectly mimicking everything they are Mm -hmm. and that is no longer that person that the the observer eye as i say it is potentially no longer there it's just this alien force now that that has the consciousness what is it that makes you a person and that's something that when i watch this film and i still watch it digs down at me Mm -hmm. well i think it's interesting too because even when they do stuff like um you know when McCready thinks he's like discovered this way of telling who is an alien, who is not an alien. And it works essentially, you know what I mean? Like it proves, um, that I forget his name, which guy it was, but that one guy is an alien. Um, you know, the blood screams and it scurries across the floor Mm -hmm. and then he, you know, turns into whatever and he eats that other guy. And, um, even after that, they still, they're like, okay, we did that. But then they still don't really trust each other. Exactly. Like, they still can't believe that anyone is, like, who they say they are. You know, they found ripped McCready clothes, which inherently means, apparently, that, um, you know, McCready might be an alien, even though he says he's not an alien. And we kind of believe he's not an alien because he did the blood thing, but they found the ripped clothes. And, like, to your point, like, none of that stuff matters. It only matters when you turn into an alien. Like or when the alien has like a, tried to assimilate you and they have to like to burn it. So even at the end of the movie, Childs and McCready are looking at each other, just being like, "I don't, I don't know if you're an alien or not, but what difference does it make?" And I think the thing that that shows how much of a hallmark this film is and how much it buries in is just looking at the Wikipedia article. It's intense, and, and it's so and long. how much this movie's inspired. You know, we get basic novelization it got a video game sequel it has board games haunted houses it's got a um, remake in 2011 no, no, see, a prequel oh it was a prequel, Not a prequel yeah but it got mary elizabeth winstead so it's okay by my book is that good 
Is there anybody else in it? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Just two of them? They got two Mary Elizabeth Winsteads? I would lose my mind if there was two Mary Elizabeth Winsteads in the film. I mean, this is not my kind of movie. And even I... I haven't seen this movie in a long time. But even I was just kind of like, this movie is really... For all of the things that it's... For all of the plot contrivances that John Carpenter has developed, you know, with the with the ripped clothing and, like, how this thing moves from thing to thing or... The fact that Wilfred Brimley as the alien is able to dig a tunnel into the ice in a very short amount of time and build a spaceship out of just... Well, they, got those, they got those really sharp teeth. You just bit into the ice. I guess. Um, while you're watching, you're just like, this is cool. Yeah, no. It's... This is like, this is working. Like, it doesn't seem like it should work, but it's working. And I think... We we can both. There there is always the next film we talk about. There is the argument. Uh, I was watching a video of on the next film we will soon be discussing. Your film mm-hmm. that says when you make an art film, but I think this extends to when you make any film, you need to have a passion for what you're doing. Oh yeah, you need to have a a purpose for doing it. And mm-hmm. I think this is one of those films. Where John Carpenter, already being a talented director, there's going to be a movie, more movies, no one more movie, on this list, uh, on my list from him. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much guess what that movie is. Um, but then when you have other great films like Assault and Precinct 13, or I even think In the Mouth of Madness for Albert Stalls is really good, has a movie that gets underneath your skin. Um, Starman's pretty talented. But this was, this felt like a passion project. It's Halloween has the thing from another world on screen very prominently. Mm-hmm. And he surrounds this film with just an amazing creature effects team. Inyo Morricone does a really solid it's score. It's a really good score. Yeah. A lot of people say that he should have gotten nominated for it. I don't necessarily know. Uh, Dean Cundy is, is a really talented cinematographer. He'd go on to be nominated for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And, and that, that, that all this stuff is done. Like the cinematography in this movie is great. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those Arctic shots, especially, like, it, the it, sun going down, shadowed things, the way they light it using, like, flares and flames and stuff is all really, really good. It, it expands to the hopelessness and the fact that, you know, if these men aren't going to die, if, you know, if McGreedy and Childs aren't going to die from each other, they're going to die because of the cold, because yeah. they're alone. Like, not only... And that's that's the thing, too, is... You know, that horror of the self, the horror of the identity comes in more heavily in its setting. And, you know, who goes there was the original stories. It takes place in Antarctic um, or the Arctic. I can't remember. I obviously haven't read it. But it takes place in that kind of secluded area as well. Um, But it it compounds the horror. And when you have such a talented cinematographer kind of explicating that and showing you how hopeless their situation is and how much they're trapped in their own heads. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing. It's like so much of this movie is just them trapped in the mind. Right. They are so, this so well captures not only the paranoia of the human group themselves and the paranoia of the alien outside and the paranoia of the alien within, but also the paranoia of, like even if we defeat this thing, what's coming? What is next? What is what is next? And what do we take from this? Mm. Like what are we after this? 
Right. And I think one of the things to, you know, to your um, point about passion projects is that because of all those things that you just said, like the tension throughout the whole movie is, is, is ratcheted up. It's pretty high. It's pretty good. You mean you can feel it. You're just, um, in a different movie, they're going to show the creature way less than he shows it in this movie. Um, he always finds ways to get like every, however many minutes to bring the alien like to life somewhere in this fucking like Arctic bunker that he's established. And you need to, you need to show this otherworldly thing that well came out of what you thought was your friend. I think you kind of, you do need to, to a point. Um, but maybe not as often as he didn't need to maybe as often as he did. Like you could just a different movie would have just kept the tension really high without that kind of like constant payoff. Like and you got like if you went to this movie looking for like creature effects and blood, you got a ton of it. You got I mean, a lot you, of it. You if, got all you wanted. If you hated Wilfred Brimley's arms. <laughs> yeah. Um no, but I I think that works to its advantage. In the fact that if it gave you that, not necessarily the moment to breathe, because the tension would be there, but if you gave you that moment to no longer see the monster, um, it would abstract the horror a bit. And I think this film's right. always That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. so in your face about it, um, that it's always like everyone's on the knife edge. This is a film that is absolutely a horror film that rests on the knife edge. There is no breath of moment. The, the closest you get is during that chair scene, you know, where you get Gary saying, you know, you know, I know you've been through a lot, but I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking uh, couch. You know, you get those very slight moments of reprieve, but when you're constantly showing the creature, constantly showing the fact that your friends were this creature, this, you know, it goes from looking like a human to looking like something utterly not a human. It punches it continuously and i think yeah. that's smart i think it's smart in the sense that this is a really visceral guttural film sure yeah yeah. because yeah. that's what it has to be it has to be on its level what are you what are you as a person what are you at all you know you it's 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 in your head but at the same time are you even your head or are you just like a mass of nothing a well, mass of flesh and blood right and to that and to that point like if it's not in your head or it, if it's not in your head and you are an alien, it's going to rip you the fuck apart. Like, it's not like a thing that's going to kind of, like, slowly, you know, take over your body and you kind of become a different person or whatever. You're going <laughs> to you're gonna grow huge, monstrous hands and, like, a face out of some other part of your body and your head's going to come off and grow spider legs and walk across the floor like... This shit's going to get real super fucking fast if it, I, if it takes you over. And I think it's interesting then to compare, and I definitely say, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily if this is true, but just from watching it, it feels very much like it was inspired. Um, look at the original The Blob. Mm-hmm. You know, that, a, a really good classic um, 1958 horror movie. But then compare that to the 1988 remake, which is a lot more visceral and guttural. And suddenly the blob becomes this thing that's kind of like a force, a tense force that could consume you. In the 1988 version, you're like, oh my god, I really get this now. It becomes this otherworldly thing that will rip you apart. That will right. 
eviscerate you. It's like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It's just like that. Yeah. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is really good, though. But no, no, exactly. no but, see, exactly. but look at Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. A lot of people are just getting rolled over and suddenly they're gone. In Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Right. But then, I somehow... I think this is a false memory, by the way, of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I remember... It's perfect. It has to be a false memory because I don't think none of the Attack of the Killer Tomato movies are rated R, right? I don't. I have no idea. But I happen to have this memory. This is getting off on a tangent now, of there being an Attack of the Killer Tomatoes movie, and, and I wish one of our listeners, if they hear this, would tell me if I'm right or wrong. Mm-hmm. If I maybe jumped universes, because that's what Mandela Effect is, man. We're jumping universes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, We're gonna have to do bonus episodes. <laughs> Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I actually don't know if that's true. I'm just joking with that. But I remember this being a, a scene where they cut a tomato in half, and it falls in half, and you see half of a person also cut in half. I don't think I don't that remember that, happened. but that's awesome. And I think I might have... Rem- but I, I don't think it's from the original. I think it might be from Killer Tomatoes, Attack, or whatever, uh, you're right. Oh. But then I looked it up, and I couldn't find the scene. And also, Attack, it's like rated PG, and I r- highly doubt... You would see a person chopped in half. I don't know. Us was rated PG. No. But I didn't, I didn't see that coming. No, PG-13 because of a... <laughs> right, right, right. MPA saw that. I was like, nope. Only two animal sounds per movie. <laughs> you guys just did three. Um, but no. So so I think the gutturalness and I think always showing you the alien besides the fact that like it just looks fucking awesome. Like how much, how well those practical effects are done. Um, well, even like compare, when they compare these practical effects to the 2011 remake and realize how bad, how much the how much work the practical effects took to look real, and how easily current technology could fuck it up. And even if they don't look awesome all the time, like after just like a second of it, you're like, all right, I buy it. That's yeah. weird, and I don't like it because that's so much movement and so much like viscerality to it. It just is constantly in motion, and it's. There's teeth where there shouldn't be teeth, and the second you see teeth where there shouldn't be teeth, you're out, you're you're done. Yeah, you're, you're just kind of, and it's, you're just, you're right. You're just the whole movie. You're just kind of every time you see the alien, you're just like, ugh, ugh. I mean, you're like, it's doesn't you make never you think feel it's awesome. cool. It's never like a cool looking alien. Like no, the, no, the nineteen eight blob. There's parts where like the boyfriend's hand comes off. You're like, that's gross, but like you're like, that's kind of cool at the same way. If you're a gore kind of fan, and this just kind of like, that's not cool. I don't like this, and I, I think that's a thing. It's like it is. You or could be you, but suddenly it's not you, mm. and suddenly it's it's it makes you. There's like this thing in your subconscious that that makes a you thing. go like, "Where's this? Where'd the teeth come from, man? Were the teeth inside of like this body? Was it like a just a, a human? Well, and even like the dog thing, and then was, like teeth. It was trying to consume all the dogs. No, so the dogs only partially <laughs> consumed. I don't know, but no, so. You, you talk about the movies of the heart, the movies of the soul. This is a movie of the gut for me. This is a movie that just fucking gets into my guts and just goes, ah, oh, you don't need a pancreas anymore. And just shoots it out. Because, and then when you takes see out the it, small it has teeth in it. Just weighs it. Yeah. I probably have teeth mm-hmm. in my stuff. I've seen, I've heard stories of people with, who were twins who have teeth in weird places. That's true. I can have teeth in weird places. Roger Ebert called this a barf bag movie, and he gave it a very bad review. He said it was no good. He's not a big horror movie guy, though, overall. No, he's always had a problem with slasher. Well, he's always had a problem I mean, with... This isn't necessarily a slasher. It's a creature flick. He, I think he's always had a problem with movies that, like... Um, 
forego like really deep character development or like a really complex narrative or like a really linear not linear but a really well constructed narrative in favor of you know creature effects or some other kind of thing um and that's what this movie does this movie is like oh you know how we know because of shirts and it's like oh we think the monster we think the monster rips the shirts and it's like, oh, okay, that's such a really stupid thing, but fine, because I'm going to get to see this monster again, and it's going to be awesome. I like also how the main weapon in this movie is flamethrowers. That's also a positive, Mario. No. That is great. Because <laughs> what else would it be? I don't know. And that's also a thing, like like a complete evisceration of whatever it is. It's not just like you shoot it and it's dead. You have to like to burn utterly it. eviscerate it. You know, you have to make this unexist. Mm -hmm. Final point. Final topic of conversation, though. People take this movie way too fucking seriously now. It's good. It gets under your skin. It makes you think. and It freaks you out. But when I shut off the thing, I'm like, that's a really good horror movie. I put it on my list because it makes me think for a bit. But the plethora the excess of media this is inspired and and the fact of how much analysis this has we looked at the wikipedia article there's 199 references a 50 plus title bibliography i mean if you the go fact on, that people are going this deep into the thing on youtube if you like concerns you just put in the concerns thing me. i'm gonna say concerns me if you put in the thing and you scroll down it's just video after video like the thing explained <laughs> Like, X number of things, like, you didn't know about the thing. Like, all this other stuff. Just like, really? Like, like what is explained? Like, who is an alien, like, at the end of the movie? Like, because that doesn't matter. There's nothing to explain here. Like, it doesn't The matter. whole no. idea is that you don't know. I think the, this movie perfectly exists in its bubble. And it, it punches you. It makes you terrified. Like, let it exist in its bubble. Well, the video game was apparently pretty decent. So I'll give it... Well, uh, the video well, game can exist. Was it on Nintendo? It was a PlayStation 2 game. Oh, so it was like a later... Yeah, yeah. It was a video game sequel. It was a sequel. Um, Like, that's fine. Those things are fine. I'm okay with, like, these video game sequels to whatnot. But, like... And the prequel, whatever. That was going to happen. But, like, the academic literature on the thing and the the analysis on the thing... All these people that take their... I would say they they have knowledge to give to the world. And maybe... You know what? You love film. Apply it to a film... That really needs it. <laughs> I, I think the thing was was a movie that was so in John Carpenter's head, and he wanted to scare people, and he did a really damn good job yeah. at it. But it it doesn't need this. We don't care who's the we don't you don't care who's the last who's the thing if there is a thing between Childs and McCready. It doesn't matter. Well, because they're both it, dead. And they've est- exactly they've established that if they're not the thing, if neither of them are a thing, then they're gonna die. If one of them is a thing and the other one isn't, then they're one of them's going to die and one of them's going to freeze, like forever, I guess, or whatever. I mean, if they're both come. the things, what happens then? Can they both be a thing? Wouldn't that be great if they're both the things and all of a sudden, like, an hour, like three hours later, it's like, wait a minute, are you a thing? No, oh, yeah, I'm a thing. Wait, and it's like, no, I'm not a thing. And like Green's just like, ah. and it's like, wait, you were a thing this entire. <laughs> and the child's child reaches into his pocket, it's like. Why is my shirt ripped? <laughs> He's like, oh, that must be a thing. We're both things. 
They shake hands and they prance off into the snow. And it turns out Wilford Brimley actually wasn't a thing. He just used his bone claws to his bone claws to dig into the thing. And that his the spaceship was really their only way out. Yeah. And then it's like, oh. And then they actually really just wanted a bottle of scotch. Yeah. They get in, there's like, this is good scotch. And they're like, we should have landed in Scotland. Thing sequel in Scotland. Mm, we'll nice. get... I don't know. Who are we, we going to get to direct this? John, because no, John Carpenter doesn't direct things anymore. He could do the music for it. I mean, he's going to die soon. I mean, we'll, we'll get, we'll get uh, David Gordon Green. Hey, David Gordon Green. He'll do it. He'll do it. David <laughs> Gordon Green will do anything. <laughs> but we'll give it to him, and then he'll just make it into a musical. Because he's like, I've already done horror, guys. Yeah. I need to make a musical now. He's like, okay, David Gordon Green. <laughs> Whatever, Make buddy. a musical. You just got to cast Andy Serkis in it. No, he's got to cast Emile Hirsch and Paul Rudd. And Andy Serkis. And Andy Serkis. Speaking of Andy Serkis, we'll be right back with Tom at number 70. Welcome back. Uh, my number 70 is Rashomon. Directed by... Rashomon? How do you spell it? How do you say it? How do I say it? Rashomon. Rashomon. How do I say it? Rashomon. 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 One of us is wrong. Or we're, or we're both wrong. <laughs> the, the spirit of Akira Kurosawa plops it. Man, imagine if that happened. Do you think he would... I, we would get so many listens if Akira I'd be mad I didn't bring my extra mic. If Akira... I, he could have my mic. If, if the specter of Kurosawa joins us, we'll give him the mic. He won't probably understand what we're saying we'll offer him one of the one of the beers too and he'll yeah. be a confused <laughs> he'll drink it and be like he'll just be like i'm gone he's like going back to death that's how that's how we get in the crossover um uh it is uh, the 1950 movie directed by kira kurosawa as i mentioned before um it is based off of a short story called in the grove never um, read it you I didn't read it, and I was going to read it before this, but I was like, it's not part of my like history yeah. with this, thing, so it doesn't really make any difference. Um, it should be no Wikipedia article for this film, shorter than the thing. Much shorter. And it's considered one of the greatest movies of all time, which is really, really funny. And has tons of symbolism and metaphor just kind of hanging out in it. But at least but, it, does, it does have its own like secondary... Wikipedia article on the Rashomon effect, though. I bet, I bet if you combined those two things together, though, it's still probably not as long as the Thing article. Yeah. Um, you know, a little backstory with this. Um, this was the second Kurosawa movie that I saw after my number 50 movie on my list. So a movie that we'll talk about in 20 or so weeks. Um, it was another Cutler's Purchase you know, just kind of going through the Cutler, you know, reading um, what I could from the Criterion Collection, um, like, you know, on the website or essays or wherever, and um, to kind of relate it to Tokyo Story. What I said last week about Tokyo Story being kind of like an old movie and, like, seeing if I could do it, and like, oh, I did it. This 1953 Japanese black-and-white movie, really slow-moving, like, um, I did it, and it moved me, and, um, you know, I just kind of carried it with me. Um, the same thing happened with this movie. I think the difference is that 
maybe you can speak to this a little bit too, or we could talk about it a little bit like during a conversation. I knew going into, I didn't know going into Tokyo Story that it was considered like an all-time great movie. I just knew it had a two-disc Criterion Collection um, release, and I just had to have it. I knew going into this that this movie was considered was on the list of like the greatest movies ever made, um, and I think to be really personal and weirdly narcissistic about it, I was really. Um, it was a big deal to me that after watching Rashomon, I was like, yep, I get it. I totally get it. I don't even know why I get it, but I totally understand why this is one of the best movies like ever made. Um, to that point, I saw this at a time of my life when I was really kind of, you know... Um, to make an us relationship, and to make a to make a, a, a reference to your kind of fears regarding the thing, I was really looking to define myself, like a new thing to define myself. Um, I was like the Chuck Palahniuk guy for a long time. Like I had read all, I was like obsessed with Chuck Palahniuk and like read all the Chuck Palahniuk books. Um, you know, I had gone through different like musical phases. Like you know, I was a Black Crows guy, or I was like you know. Whatever, and these aren't things that like people called me like on the street, like "Hey, Black Crows guy," "Hey, guy that read Fight Club way too many times." Um, it was just like a way for me to kind of define myself. And after seeing my number fifty movie and Rashomon, um, I became, in my mind, like an Akira Kurosawa guy. So I just hunted down Akira Kurosawa releases. Um, well, I read the books. I got my I got my copy of something like an autobiography right next to me. Um, can I borrow that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we could both say this really quickly. Me and you are both Kurosawa. People. I fucking love him. And the, we're gonna go in. I, we're gonna, I, I, I can say this right now. He's the greatest director of all time, in my opinion. I mean, we. It's conversation. It's not. I think. I don't think but, it's. It's not a conversation for me. I mean, <laughs> somebody could say like, oh, but it's like Coen Brothers. Most influential for me, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, in terms of influencing me as a not as a person, but in terms of influencing my vision of film and my vision of like personality aspects. But like, a Kira, like I can watch a Kurosawa movie, and be like oh, Kurosawa. Well, so even this, you know, this movie is 1950. So even something like this, where you know, you look at kind of Ozu. I mean, Ozu and Kurosawa are making different movies, even though um, Kurosawa name checks Ozu and this is like an influence. Um, they're doing different things with film. Um, there's stuff that he's doing in this movie that a modern filmmaker would 100% not do um, in terms of like uh, like some of those shots of the medium, you know what I mean, and how that sequence goes and like how intense it is and how close he is to things and how off-center and um, like some of those shots are, you know what I mean? They're anchored, they're anchored not by like what's in the middle. So remember we talked about... Um, um, the Virgin Spring, that scene of the Virgin Spring when he's like rocking the tree down and yeah, stuff like that. It's, it's just like right in the middle. This has like instead of having like anything centered or anything like you know to kind of anchor it in the center, it has this like weird horizon line at the top of like the courtyard where they're doing this this hearing or this trial. You know what I mean? And it's really, well because light because and that's where like the lights coming in because light plays such a prominent role in this film, right? But it's a really strange in terms of the themes and it's a strange line. 
You know what I mean? It's a strange center angle. Because, like, Kubrick used to do stuff like that, too, where he would draw your eye to something that, like, wasn't in the center of the screen, but it was clearly the thing you needed to draw your eye to. Um, like a well, light fixture or something else. Well, I think it's great about Kurosawa in comparison to that, though, is, like, there's so much... You know, you can look at that every frame of painting thing about talking about movement and fluidity in, in Kurosawa. But even those moments of stillness where your eyes draw on something, you don't realize it until you're actually yeah. re-watching it that your eyes draw on something. When you see Kubrick, you kind of know, you know. Yeah, yeah, your yeah. eyes being drawn on something. But Kurosawa just, you you look at it once and you're like, you, every time you watch the, his movies the first time through, you're kind of just drawn to something. Yep. And upon future viewings, you're like, wait a minute. Why am I looking at this? Why am I looking at, at the man in the further in the background instead, instead of the, the actual person narrating this, telling the story right now? Why am I looking at things in the back? Yeah. Well, Why no, am I drawn to this? Not even things, it doesn't even have to be things in the back. It could oh, no, be yeah, things, no, no, no. I'm just, just saying be, as an example. No, no. I'm, and I'm going to elaborate on the example. It's just things that are not supposed to really kind of take your breath away. In a Kurosawa movie, when you watch them enough times, you just keep finding these moments. You're just like, "Holy shit!" So there's and like early, it happened to me when I was watching this movie. Um, I watched it this week to do the episode. And it was the first time I'd seen it in a couple of years. Um, and there's a scene really early when the priest is looking at the woodcutter, and he just like he just like turns his head, and just somehow the way that it's framed and how it looks um, is just kind of perfect. And you realize, you're just like, fuck, that's perfect. Like, that is everything. Like, it's dramatic, even though it doesn't have to be dramatic. It's just perfect. It's a but perfect it's, shot. And what's nice and is it's, just, it's not a, necessarily pretty. No, it's not, no, no. It's not something, it's not the, you know, it's not the, the Ellswit or the Deacon sort of shots. I mean, he's that are got just some like, of those. He does. They're in here, but. But it's not like a constant kind of breathtakingness. It's it's a it's a it's a liveliness. It's a it's a fluidity. It's yeah. it's a it's a carrying you. It is an emotive uh, cinematography. It, it's it's it, it but it's so well done in that way that it, it blends back in and it falls back. So you don't notice it a lot. Right. And he did so much fucking work with this like this movie alone. Using mirrors to, you know, create dancing light. Putting ink in the water so you can see you the see rain. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it, actually shooting this, being the first film to shoot the sun. But you don't notice these things the first time you watch it. You have to, like, you know, and those things don't really necessarily, they're not punched at you. Like, a lot of these major techniques are kind of punched at you in, in films when it's the first time somebody's doing it. Or it's something that's done with so much effort. But Kurosawa never tried to punch you in the gut with well, the image. And even doing. like reading the book, the chapter on, because this movie, this book, the, his autobiography only goes up to Rashomon. So he talks about a little bit about making Rashomon. It's like six, seven pages. Um, you even get the sense when he, you know, when he was making it. Kiru really tired him out. He couldn't write about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, when he was making it, he wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm going to make this really great piece of cinema. He was just kind of like, or oh, I'm going to do all these new interesting things and blah, blah, blah. He was just like, I have these visions in my head, and I'm going to just make them. There's, there's no pretense to no. it. No. Which is amazing. That he has some of the most... Some of the films that could be the most pretentiously done in, you know, by, by a director, or, mm-hmm. or, or, or that have the themes of pretension. You know, We're going to talk about some doing pretentious the, movies. Doing The Idiot. Doing you know, Throne of Blood and... and uh, 
Kajimushu or Ran. Those could be pretentious movies. Oh, Kajimushu's. But look at Ran. Like, Ran, at times, is kind of, like, gritty to look at. And it doesn't need to be gritty. They all kind of are, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't need to be. But it's just because, like, he needs to get this out. And he has a story to tell. He reminds me... He actually doesn't remind me. There's two directors, uh, him and one other director, who were just so much filmmakers because they had to be. Yep. And that's Sam Peckinpah, mm. being the other filmmaker. They needed to tell a story. And I remember when he won his honorary Oscar, he says, he kind of like the, one of the first things he says is, you know, I, I haven't done it yet. I still haven't captured the essence of film. And this is a man who, it didn't feel like he was doing it for pride. He just like, he had... Re- talked about this last week with the transgressive directors that people have something they have to get out yeah it's just you know whereas Lars von Trier or Darren Aronofsky are really solid directors they're not fucking complete and absolute masters right I mean and the funny thing is that he's acknowledged as that but he had a lot of trouble getting finances for like the last two three movies that he made <laughs> a lot of his movies did not really do especially well in this country no, no, no but like he's regarded as like one of the great directors in the history of of the medium and he couldn't get someone to make like dreams or Rhapsody or Kajimusha. He just couldn't get someone to make it. Um, So I think just to go, we'll go back and tell people what we're talking about. So Rashomon is really, (laughs) we have not described. So it opens on um, the Rashomon gate. It is, um, Oh, it's a, it's supposed to be, Uh, this huge gate that leads into this city, um, which leads to um, a temple. Um, it is it is not... He had to make it, and apparently it was so big that the reason it looks dilapidated is because the, the structure that they built wouldn't hold the roof. So he just made it look dilapidated um, because there was no other way. No other way to make it as big as he wanted to make it. Um, a woodcutter and a priest are having a conversation about... Um, how they can't believe what they saw. A man, uh, they were just at a, we don't know that they were at a trial or anything yet. A man comes up and, you know, is trying to get out of the rain. It's pouring rain and he asks what they're talking about. And um, the woodcutter and the priest then begin to tell him this story, um, which is in and of itself three different stories of the same thing. A samurai was, it takes place in the 11th century. Uh, a samurai was killed, a woman um, was raped, and they have a suspect in um, the feared bandit uh, Tajamaru, I think I got that right, played by the absolutely, unbelievably magnetic, most movie star person I've ever seen in my whole life, Toshiro Mifune. Um But Tajamaru? Um, the wife. We have no crossover. I didn't realize that. Um, for Kurosawa movies, no, we don't. Um, Tajimoro, the wife, and the samurai speaking, who is dead, speaking through a medium, and one of the great film sequences I've ever seen in my life. All tell a completely different story of what has happened here. We find out later that the woodcutter, one of the people that's telling these sto- like re- reiterating these stories has actually actually saw the whole thing happen and he tells a different story so we have four different stories of the exact same thing um 
four different ways that the samurai died, four different portrayals of the wife, four different portrayals of Tajimoro. Um, this shakes the priest's beliefs um, in man and man's kind of inherent goodness and inherent inherent honesty inherent inherent humanity um yeah because even even if they're the honest liar per se mm -hmm. as it were um even if they were people believe telling their own truth it still would shake it in a way because they're then just a collection of memories a collection of of shaky memories that they're not people anymore you know, and I, this is something I, maybe I, I take too much from this movie, mm. but it's an interesting thing where they're no longer, and, and, and like yes, there, there's the inherent truth in this, um, like the inherent truth or inherent decency of, of people, but also if they're, you know, that would not need Rashomon effect coming into terms of this, you know, the 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 classic example of how tempted eyewitness testimony can be mm. um and I, I see a lot of this is shaking his the 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 shaking of the priest's belief in humans because he's like what is a person at this point even if they're telling their own truths or whatnot and they're they're wrong you know what's what matter is this does it making sense what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah what matter is this then they're they're nothing there is nothing besides just memories a person well, of a person and especially because i guess all of these memories all of these retellings are designed to make the the, the specific person there's, there's yeah exactly self-interest um but they could believe it because you get from those performances that these people are believing or some of these people are believing especially like the, the the part with the wife like she's kind of believing what she's saying you know well so, i mean and so that's it's interesting because there are general there's facts so like the samurai is dead the wife was raped. Um, that dagger was gone. The dagger was gone. Like they, these are like you know substantiated facts that nobody's really disagreeing with. It's just kind of how this happened, and the fact that nobody wants to take an honest ownership for any of these things, even though they know these things, I think is a testament to what the priest is saying in that. We like we know it. We know what happened. Like you all saw what happened, so just say what happened. Like there's no way no one comes out looking good in this scenario, so what are you trying to save? Like there's not like a savable thing. And maybe and you know, that's eleventh century like culture like Japanese culture talking too. Oh no, I don't think so. I think this is this is very much a film of its time. No, it no, talks, but in the sense it that talks like, of individuality. No, no, but I'm saying in the sense that like a woman is ruined because like she oh, had sex I, with I two men. Saying. I think it meant like the the aspect of, of the individual sense versus like the group sense oh no 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 I just, I'm, I'm just talking about like how okay. if, if someone wants to have a conversation if someone wants to be like well they're they're really mean to that woman it's like well yeah it's the 11th century it's yeah. 11th century japan like you know it could be 1940s it's... america and i would buy it it could be 19 it could be 2016 america and i'd also still buy it put it up um but don't make the same mistake yeah um that's what us is trying to say. That's what us is ultimately trying to say. Learn from listen, your mistakes. Listen, man. If that happens again, I'd be more than happy 
to have Umlock, that'd be the name of my doppelganger, just stab me in the spine. I would deserve it, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think we're off track enough that we can kind of restart a conversation somewhere about something else. What were we talking about? No, we're talking, you're talking about the loss of, his, his loss of faith in humanity. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then so the faith in humanity is only established again when they find a baby, which apparently they didn't know was there for um, the whole movie. Um, the commoner that they're telling the story to um, steals a kimono and a, um, a pendant or an amulet from the baby that's meant to provide, uh, you know, safety and, 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 and protect the baby. Um, he steals it and the, and the priest, you know, calls him out on it and he said, or the woodcutter calls him out on it. And through an altercation between them, we find out that the woodcutter also lied. The woodcutter stole the, uh, pearl inlaid dagger. Um, this shakes the, the, the beliefs of the, the priest even more that there's no inherent goodness until the woodcutter agrees to take uh, the child home because he already has six kids and what's what's one more kid? He will raise the, the kid as one of his own, um, thus restoring the priest's faith in like general human goodness. Um, you know, that's, a, I guess, a contrivance if you want to believe that it is, but um, I think the point more is that we seem to go out of our way and this relates to the idea that like we're telling self-serving lies um, to make ourselves look better. We seem to go out of our way to take these to, to get these minor victories, to, to have these like minor rewards for ourselves. We seem to be sacrificing a piece of our souls to just to get a little bit. And I think to that point, the priest only needs a little bit. Like the idea, the idea that the woodcutter is like, I'll just take it because it doesn't matter. It's not really like that gratifying from a human standpoint. But I think the priest needs a little bit. There's some, there's something there. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's the ultimate. That's the pull away from this is that you you just have to find these moments. If there's a moral here. It's, you just have to find these moments of um, absolute human goodness, which are kind of. So we get we get to see the situation between the bandit, the samurai, and the wife, um, you know, from four different angles, and there are, except in the bandit's tale, there are inherent moments, and maybe there are in the bandit's tale too, in like the sense of the husband like defending her. Um, there are moments of honor and goodness in those things as well. You know what I mean? Where like someone kind of takes a stand for somebody else, um, whether it be. You know, the bandit Tajimoro, um kind of defending the samurai after what the wife said, like about you know take me with you and stuff like that. Um, there's there's honor or the wife kind of like berating the two men um, for not like for you know you know say they're not real men because they won't do the things like the thing that they're supposed to do like you know he's supposed to kill him and and you know blah 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 um there are those little things um and i think that's the i think that's the point is that you you have to find the, you you have to look at these stories and find and find the little bits of of goodness in people um you know a little bit goes a long way 
Maybe is the is the moral of the story. Yeah. Do you know, interestingly enough, that both of the women in this movie, the medium and the wife, are still alive? Oh, crazy? really? That's awesome. Both in their nineties. But uh, the thing that I find interesting to this mo- to me in this movie is it's so much about the individual, which is which is great. Um, especially in that kind of like post and I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a war commentary movie um, I don't think so no I, I, there was a lot of discussion like late, like there was a lot of kind of like theory after this movie was made um, like memory of defeat in Japan a reprisal of Rashomon released in uh, 1954 in the Antarctic Review um, saying that's about like Japan in the face of, of the defeat and I, I don't see that um, I see this more, though, being an exploration of the individual in face of the fall of, like, the Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kurosawa kind of moved by the kind of democratic ideas in, in the post-war. And this movie is such a solid individual tale mm-hmm. in the sense of it is one of the more fantastic examples of people being human people being people mm. people being moved by self-interest but also by by a need for something outside of the self even if that outside of the self is acceptance um for example samurai's wife by the people around her even if she like ran off with the bandit or you know how she's the, the shame she could take on it she needs some exterior force mm-hmm. but even if she's driven by the self um and the thing I always go back to is like that looking at the sun. You know, they, they kind of go into that forest and you could see that forest is kind of being like this tangle where, where everything's covered and, 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 and muddled and lost. You can't, you know, there's that long shot to kind of establish the stories of, of going into the forest, uh-huh. you know, like deeper and deeper into this web of of where the story takes place that there there is no truth to it you know we you don't know what the truth is at the end right um but all these characters have these moments where they look up at the sun they look up at the light and you know you get that first instance of a film actually shooting at the sun yeah um and and like when she's being raped she's looking up at the sun they're seeking kind of like that truth that individual sense that they're looking there's that one light breaking through and this can be their moment to kind of like grasp at something Mm. you get this constant sense and this is not spoken this is what shows how great kurosawa is in the sense that i could be 100 percent off base but somebody listening right now could be like yeah that makes sense um grasping at, at this moment of impact needing that one thing that they can cling to you know and and this is so well done in how it captures that need to have a you to have your story and to have that moment in that story be the thing that is your turning point you know and that even even the priest when he loses his faith in humanity you know it's still a, it's still motivated by self-interest he still needs to find that kind of purpose for himself you know, even if it's the most weak and vapid example, you know, he, he needs to cling to something. Mm-hmm. But is it necessarily weak and vapid? You know, is is humanity based upon these fabric of lies that we tell ourselves, the fabric of lies we tell others in order to look better or in order to feel better about ourselves? Or is that what it actually means to be a person? You know, is, you know, does the truth in the end actually matter? 
do these natural laws or these these natural sort of senses or what actually happened matter or does what matter how we come from these situations and how we grow from these situations i mean not for the samurai because <coughs> he's dead i mean he gets he gets to be a spirit that's fun but um you know this this movie just feels so intensely about you know people so focused on like what the truth was and 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 even the term the Rostromon effect talking about you know the the trouble of of the narrative uh of the personal narrative but that doesn't matter in the end what matters is the fact that all these people have created some sort of self from this moment yeah i mean it's an interesting um you can argue that there's an interesting parallel to like kind of like the web of the forest that you've talked about and like this kind of tangle of stories that they've created and contained within this tangle of stories um is a truth but is that truth even is that truth significant to anything is that is are is that truth that's just inherent somewhere in the fact that the situation happened does that negated fully by or does that matter less than the lies matter which i think is which i think is the case in the sense that like the the lies because they're so self-serving cloud like any um I want to say a P word, but uh, the the P word is not coming to me. Pumpernickel. <laughs> any pumpernickel that the truth is that to, no any importance that that truth has that truth ultimately doesn't matter. I think pertinence. Pertinence. Thank you. Um, it causes any pertinence that that truth has. Pumpernickel and, pertinence. And that, <laughs> in the sense that that, um, what really matters is kind of this, this kindness between this truth understood between like actual people. You know what I mean? Understanding, not necessarily kindness, but at least the understanding or, uh, maybe that's uh, a better uh, way to put it because, and that kind of deals with the fixing of a worldview. Right. And that kind of, uh, that goes along with the idea that like the, the woodcutter doesn't seem like super pumped to take this kid, but there is an understanding that like with six more kids, he kind of has an obligation as a human to kind of take care of this, to take care of this kid. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there's an inherent, like, humanity to us all, and what does that mean? Yeah. Like, and these are the things that it means. Perhaps telling truths in court is not that thing. Perhaps the thing is, or stealing from the baby is not that thing. Perhaps the thing is, is, is this. And as long as this can still happen, like, that stuff can also happen, too. As long as there's still this kind of core. No, I'd agree. Like, the things that undefine a human, these lies or the deceits or the the mismemories are thrown to the side when a person can take on the decision, no matter how flippantly, to do something extremely moral. Yep. Well, that's good. Kurosawa yeah. is a pretty spiritual guy, man. Yeah. He's, he's, a, good, he's a good man. Hopefully. Well, when you know his spirit is is when it shows up, we'll shake his hand, and then he'll just demand a beer. The Sapporo. He yeah he won't. Oh, come on. What? He'll want something else. Sapporo's good. He'll be like give me a mat. I've never had Sapporo actually. You never had Sapporo? No. I guess maybe during one of the Kurosawa weeks we'll do a. 
Yeah, Sapporo. We'll we're gonna have we're gonna talk about Kurosawa three more times. There you go. And all of the times will be different movies. So <laughs> they'll all be different movies, and there. I think this is the earliest one, and then we'll just keep going. Yeah, because I think uh, I think the highest one is is very the highest one is very, very high. yeah yeah. Um. So that's it for this week. Um. And we'll talk. We'll talk more about the art of Kurosawa later. I think for sure because I think this is more about the experience of, of Rashomon. Yeah, I mean, it did one one quick thing. Yeah. It did lead to the creation of the best foreign language film. Oscar, That's true. Which is good. Um, yeah, and it got nominated in two different years. It got Oscars in two different. Well, it got nominated in one and an Oscar in a different year. That's fun. Because it got nominated for art direction the following year. After it won the honorary Oscar. That's when you could just do whatever you wanted at the Oscars. Nobody cared. Yeah. They're just like, you know what we got to do, though? There's this movie called Rashomon that we really need to give. You know what else we have to do? Drink excessively and smoke a lot of cigarettes. It has to happen. I mean, that's what they did in the 50s, right? Yeah. And, you know, subjugate like 70% of the human population that wasn't white males. Let's do it. That's how we... That's how we roll in 1950s America. And if 2010s you want to, If you want to tell us more things about that, you can go to our Twitter page. Twitter.com slash Film Pivotal. I haven't posted anything there in a long I time. I haven't either. Because yeah. I forgot it existed. Um, but we'll, we'll do that. Once again, not a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. I mean, we could talk about our opinions of the Lucy in the Sky trailer. It looks good. We can... There's a lot of space movies this year. There's too many space movies. That's the thing. Why? 1997 gave us, you know, what 97? 97 gave us two meteor movies. 98, I think, gave us two. uh, No, wait, no, the same year, I think. Yeah, 97 gave us two volcano movies and two space movies. Only two. We're going to have at least three major Adastrata. Lucy in the Sky. High Life. High Life. Avengers Endgame. That's gonna be in space. That counts. That counts. No, there's a, there's another one, isn't there? Isn't there a big I one? I feel like there is. Yeah, there's a Jeremy Renner movie that's called. What's oh, that movie there's called? that French movie about the. Uh, what's the, there's that one French movie coming out. It's based on an old 1950s Swedish. No, it's a Swedish movie, not a French movie. Swedish movie based on an opera, or actually a poem that became an opera about a colony ship going to Mars that gets knocked off course and it becomes basically high rise. Yeah, it's Pet Cemetery. All right, pets. <laughs> no, you've heard about this movie, right? No, no, it looks, actually looks decent. So that's um, that's four. That's five space movies. There probably more. I don't know what this Jeremy Renner movie is called. I just saw a preview for it earlier. There was Apollo Night, Apollo Eleven. Apollo Eleven is already came out. What the hell's happening? Why is Star Wars space movies? It's crazy, crazy town. Um, if you want to tell us some other space movies that are coming out this year, you can send us an email to. Uh, pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. Another Men in Black movie? Oh my god, I keep forgetting that that exists. Oh my Tessa god. Thompson does too, probably. Um, you can go to pivotalfilm.com and you can see lists of the movies that are on our lists or uh, the beers that we've drank or uh, how to subscribe to our podcast or uh, a link to our Twitter feed if that really floats your boat. Um, until then, go see a movie, um, drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next week.